daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Wednesday's Football Social Daily. We're halfway through the week and another day closer to the next Premier League match day. But it was Carabao Cup action for a host of top flight clubs last night. No banana skins to report from the second round ties, but some emphatic victories and plenty of goals. We'll discuss that as well as the unanimous decision from Premier League sides not to release their players for international duty if those players would be heading to a country on the government's coronavirus red list. We ask what do the players make of it and how much of an impact will that have in the final week of the transfer window? Could it be a game changer for any potential signings? And those potential signings will also be on the agenda today as Burnley look like they may have a fresh face arriving soon. Manchester United could pick up a real superstar in the future and Liverpool have tied down one of their prized assets to a new deal. All that to come on your only seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. I'm Niall and with me we've got Marley Anderson. Hello, mate. Hello. I'm back on another Marley Social Daily. Uh, eighth, eighth go in a row now. Eighth weekday <laughs> in a row it is, this, I think. I tell you what, your streak is going to rival the Undertakers at WrestleMania if you carry out <laughs> this race. Yeah, that's consistent. That. That Brock Lesnar's going to smash the hell out of me one day. Yeah. <laughs> might I just, might just DM Brock Lesnar speculatively, see if he fancies coming on to, to break your streak. Uh, and the other voice you can hear is Matt Peter. Warm welcome back to the show, Matt. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Now, how are you, pal? Yeah, very good. Great to have you back on. Let's start with the big news that broke overnight. Premier League clubs have decided unanimously that they won't let their players go on international duty if they play for a country which is on the government's coronavirus red list. Now, obviously, restrictions in the UK lifted April, May time in terms of the lockdown ended and everyone's been able to go back to as normal as you could probably hope for in these testing times. With that, obviously, came a change in the landscape in terms of fans being allowed back into stadiums. And from a football perspective, uh, things were slightly more relaxed as well. However, coronavirus, Marley, still very much a problem in society and in football. So in terms of these clubs making this decision not to let players go on international duty if they play for or are travelling to a red list country, does that come as much of a surprise to you? Uh, no, not really. Um, I think it's it's logical, isn't it? It's um, it's makes no sense to to put your players at at risk. Um, they're they're on the red list for a reason. Um, you know, other countries are, are not as far along in their vaccine sort of um, rollout than than we are in the UK. So. You know why? Why take that risk um, with the with the whole quarantining thing? If you you know if you have to quarantine for ten days, you miss two games as a footballer, don't you? So, you know it's um, it it. I think it makes sense. Um, they're not the most important international games at this stage of the season. It's not like you're missing a major tournament or anything like that. I'm sure the international teams can can go without the Premier League players, even though they are a big draw and and obviously big important players for them, but. I think sometimes you have to um, you have to do the logical thing, and I feel like this is the logical thing to do. It's a unanimous decision from clubs, Matt. So pretty much all of them decided that this would be the way that they would go. We'll come on to whether we thought whether what we think the players make of it in a sec. But do you think that's the right call? Because obviously players are assets nowadays. I think the key focus from Premier League clubs and managers is just to get this season done with as little interruption as possible. 
And, you know, if they're losing their key players because they're going on international duty for a couple of weeks and that couple of weeks might turn into a month with the quarantines and everything like that. Do you think it's the right decision? Because it's no surprise, like Marley says, that they've come to this conclusion. Yeah, um, common sense has definitely prevailed on this one. Clubs are only protecting their investments. Um, We've seen what coronavirus has done. Um, disruption-wise to, to football over the last 18 months or so. So, no, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever. It's early season as well, and we all know at this stage of the season, you know, international breaks are a pain in the ass anyway, um, especially when it comes to injuries and stuff like that. And, and plus, this in the middle of a transfer window, it's harder to sell a player that's injured than it was, you know, than it is isn't one that's fit, you know, especially if you want to get rid of that player. Um, and the quarantine and stuff as well, red list countries, players have to quarantine when they come back home. No, it's, it, it just didn't make sense whatsoever for them to um, have to participate in these games. And I, I'm glad anyway that the, the clubs have all come together and made the right choice, definitely. And from the non-football side of things, obviously, travelling to a red list country is something you're not allowed to do at the moment as just a normal general member of the public. So, you know, it would also bring spotlight onto those players, managers, coaches, Matt, that all of a sudden get this free pass in society that they're able to go and and travel to these countries. And, you know, it is about uh, still, even though restrictions have lifted and there's a a majority of people that have been double vaccinated against COVID-19, there's still a responsibility for football clubs to do their part in restricting the spread of the virus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we don't want people to start going, well, it's one rule for one, one rule for another. You know, everyone has to abide by the same rules because, like I said, it's it's for people's safety. You know, just because sports are a multi-billion, you know, pound business doesn't mean that it's it's you know it's exempt from these kind of things. No, the the um the safety of the players, the managers, the staff all has to come into um into account, plus the spectators and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's it's a bigger thing than football when you actually think about it. Obviously, the subject is football, but if we're to, if we're thinking about it from a wider spectrum, it's just about players' safety, uh, people's safety, and stuff like that. So yeah, we, we we are trying to get back to normal, and the the way we've done things over here seems to be working at the moment. You know, over weekend, I mean, it's only been like the second Premier League weekend now, and it just seems mad to see people back into the stadiums. And I don't know, I've just got this extra buzz about watching football again, and I I don't want things to start to change again. I don't want things to start going backwards. You know, we're moving forwards now, and that's the only the only way we should be looking. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make as well. It feels like you don't want to undo the progress that's already been made by you know, the decision to send players uh, and coaching staff and whatever it might be off to, you know, respective countries on the red list, for ex- for example. Yeah, what makes sense. It, exactly. And that's just a personal opinion. Obviously, people listening to the show might have a different view. I know some of the players don't agree with this, Marley. I saw Edinson Cavani, the Manchester United striker, kind of reposted it on his Instagram story with a bunch of question marks. And for some, and I think this is a, a strictly... British or Irish or Premier League thing that actually a lot of us consider ourselves bigger fans of our respective clubs than we do of our countries but in some nations around the world that isn't the case for instance in South America that's a great example Edinson Cavani is Uruguayan and for a lot of Uruguayan players it is the holy grail to be able to pull on the shirt of their country and represent their national team so this is obviously going to disgruntle a few players. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you probably make a good point. I think in in some countries it's more important to to pull on your national team's jersey. I think yes, yeah, South America is is the perfect example of that. And you know, you see, um, you see the so you know, like the the tribalism in in Copa Americas and and World Cups and things like that. And 
I feel like this probably just does come down to it. I think, you know, the fans are absolutely nuts over there for the football. You know, the atmospheres at, at club games are absolutely insane. Um, derbies are, are just ridiculous. And they're sort of a throwback to the sort of 90s and, and 80s in, in English football where, it, you know, your whole life was about going to the match and, you know, uh, cheering your team on and in some occasions having a fight. I think there's a lot of kind of <laughs> similarities to that and... You know, it's it's one of them. Just so yeah, I mean, it's not. It's sort of understandable that Cavani sort of questions it a little bit. There's probably some um, logic in what he's thinking. As you know, can you keep a small amount of people safe? As in the players, you know, could you could you just test them regularly? And if they get it, they get it, and they, you know, they they sit out a couple of games. And if they don't get it, then they don't get it. Obviously, some players will want to take that that slight risk because they see it as a small risk but you know it's I don't know it's 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 one of the things that we're playing it on the side of caution because you know hundreds of that well tens of thousands of people have lost their lives in the last two years and why wouldn't you play it on this on the side of the safe side a little bit but you know some people are never going to agree with it not not 100% of the people are going to agree 100% of the time so it's uh, it's each to their own I suppose. I did see something quite funny when uh, Edinson Cavani posted that. A Manchester United fan just reposted it saying, you've only been back a week, don't take the... (laughs) I thought it was quite funny because Edinson Cavani, of course, has been uh, away with his national side at the Copper America and quarantine rules regarding his return from that and a return to fitness. The international break, the, the next one coming up, is only a couple of weeks away. I think it's four Premier League games into the season. So in terms of the problems that could cause... You know, you're just looking at some of the best players in the league and you're thinking, well, actually, if you're going away to a red list country and this was voted through, you'd have to abide by the quarantine rules. You know, 10 days of quarantine. You know what the schedule's like, Matt, being a Manchester City fan where you've had games, you know, every other day sometimes or every couple of days. You know, to lose a key player for a stretch of 10 days, that could be as much as four games and four important games as the season goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's... When that situation arises, you know, it's untenable, especially when it's it's as needless as it, the situation is now. Like we were saying before, it's, it's not as if there's a major tournament coming up. These international games, you know, it's, obviously it's, it's 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 for a reason, but it just seems rather pointless to, to a lot anyway. But we touched on before about Cavani. I think that's a cultural thing. You know, like you said, it's the South American way. They they love putting on the shirt of their country that is that is their bread and butter that's what they live for that that's what they dream of doing they dream of lifting a major a major trophy one day with their country and any chance they that they get to put on the shirt of whatever country they represent you know they live for that but i think like we was this we were just discussing like common sense just ultimately has to come through there and the red list countries the the 10 day quarantine and you know it's just not ideal especially at this point in the season like we was discussing the last thing you want to do is to lose a player a key player at this point and like i was touching on before you know some players are in the uh, the transfer the transfer window at the moment looking to get sold by the clubs and you know that could affect potential sales for for a club that maybe needs the money so now no, it, it, like we said, the, the unanimous decision by the clubs, you know, it's it's the correct decision for me. Obviously, other people are going to have different opinions, but for me, that is it's ultimately the correct choice. Yeah, and and just continuing on the transfer tact, Marley, as Matt says, you know, we've only got a few days left of the summer transfer window for this season. And now that this decision has been made and revealed by the Premier League, with still time left in the window, 
Do you think this will have an impact on any potential deals that may be being done behind the scenes by Premier League clubs for players who play for their international teams and those teams being on the red list? And I know the lists are subject to change depending on whether the government decides to move them around or whatnot. But is something as small as that big enough to throw a spanner in the works in terms of any contracts that could be coming up, do you think? Uh, yeah, of course it could, yeah. I mean, you know, if you... You know, you you never you never know what's going to happen. I suppose so. The um, you do have to sort of look after yourself and maybe be a bit selfish in this situation where you might think, you know, if if I if I do this, it might affect my um, my move coming up. Like nobody really knows behind the scenes of when certain things happen and what have you. So you know, if you're worried about it, you would sort of play it safe and, and look after yourself a little bit. So yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm certainly interested to see how this would affect the uh, the final few days of the transfer market, or it might not at all, who knows. But the news is that Premier League clubs won't let players go on international duty to red list countries unanimously voted for by the 20 top flight sides. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. And plenty of those 20 top flight sides were in Carabao Cup action last night. It was the second round and there were some big wins for some Premier League teams. We'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Niall, Matt and Marley are with me. And it was the second round of the Carabao Cup last night. And these early League Cup stages are often overlooked, not just by us on the podcast, but I think by football fans in general, because they just come so soon into the season. To think it's already the second round means... There would have been a first round game, which we seem to completely forget about. Obviously, Premier League sides involved at this stage. And there were some big wins for some Premier League teams last night. Let me go through the full suite of results for you. Norwich beat Bournemouth 6-0. Villa beat Barrow 6-0. Brentford won against Forest Green 3-1. It was Cardiff 0, Brighton 2. Everton picked up a 2-1 win at Huddersfield. Leeds beat League One side Crewe 3-0 at Elland Road. Watford beat a toothless Crystal Palace by a goal to nil. And Nottingham Forest lost 4-0 at home to Wolves. So there were no upsets involving Premier League sides. All of the teams seemed to get the job done. No real banana skins. So, Marley, if you can try and pick out one of those results that I've just read out there that you think is the most significant, because as we say, Norwich winning by six, Villa winning by six, Everton picking up a win despite being down to ten men, Watford beating a, a toothless Crystal Palace, Wolves getting their first win under Bruno Large. There's some interesting results to pick out there. Yeah, there's um, there's a few few decent results. Obviously, no real shocks, but um, you're looking at, I mean, Norwich beating Bournemouth six 0 is a huge confidence boost for them. Um, watching the highlights, it, it feels like um, Bournemouth put out a fan team because they were they were awful. Um, they made a couple of mistakes. Just passing it round the back, which led to Norwich scoring um, at least two of their goals. I can't remember all of them, but they were. Uh, they, that's a nice little confidence boost for them. But the one I'd probably pick out is is Watford and Palace. Um, I think Palace. You know, we we've talked about Palace and took a lot of stick from from Palace fans, saying that you know they'll be all right. They've they've made younger, you know, they've signed younger players and got rid of some of the older players. So what's the problem? Um, and again, last night they played a strong team. Watford made more changes than them, um, and Palace played pretty much their strongest team, and you know got beat one nil. So 
I feel like there's still a lot of work to be doing. Um, there's still a long way to go for Patrick Vieira, but the last time Crystal Palace didn't have a manager, um, sorry, tried to change the manager, you know, Frank de Boer lasted seven games and it's already been three for Vieira. He's lost all of them. They've not looked very good doing it. Um, they've not looked, they've not scored a goal. Uh, that happened again last night. I think there was a, a chance where I think it might have been Mateta missed from about a yard out, couldn't get a clean header on it from a, a cross that was put right under the crossbar and eventually they went on to lose the game. So I think the best thing about Crystal Palace this season is the, is the kit. <laughs> well, I think it should be um, made evident by us in case you aren't too clear on the rules of the Carabao Cup. You might have been wondering why there were no uh, Tottenham's or Manchester City uh, no Manchester City Manchester United Liverpool Chelsea those sorts of teams I think they come in at the next stage the third round stage I think teams that are in Europe get a bye for the first uh, couple of rounds and uh, they come in at the next stage of the competition um, I did say Arsenal then but I had to correct myself because they're playing tonight what Arsenal against West Brom of course they didn't get in Europe in the end um, but like you say yeah big win for Norwich um, great confidence booster for them but yeah Crystal Palace I mean why can't they score a goal? That has to be a concern. Three games in, they've played Brentford and Watford, two promoted teams, haven't scored any goals. I know one was in the cup and won the league. Lost 3-0 to Chelsea, which is fine. Chelsea will smash a few teams this season. But against two promoted sides, not finding the back of the net, that has to be a concern for Crystal Palace. What do you think, Matt? Are there any fixtures there that perhaps caught your eye? Well, the Norwich one, because they've Obviously, they've played City and Liverpool in their opening two games, but they've lost them both by um, by a few goals. So that'll be a decent confidence booster for them, like Marley touched on. You know why winning six goals to nil? Obviously, the cup cup games are always a free hit. You know what I mean? If you, if you, if you win by a significant margin, then brilliant. You know maybe you can take that into your next league game. Um, the Wolves one as well. It was a, like a, a bit of a Midlands derby there. You know um, Bruno Large. You know they've not won a game. You know under him. So them going into the next game after beating. You know, a sort of a local rival by four goals to nil away from home, that could um, that could give them a decent confidence boost to go into their next league game. But yeah, um, the the, Pal- the Palace one is worrying. You know, I, I like Patrick Vieira. Obviously, he played for um, he played for City for a little bit. He he managed New York City for a little bit. It didn't work out there for him. I still think he he's got time there to sort it out. But they've not made any like major like recruitment or anything. Yeah, they've got some rid of some of their older players. They've they've not really bought anything like significant. You know that you could think this could change them. You know what I mean? They've still got time, obviously, to make make a couple of um, new signings. You know, and I if they, if they don't if they don't change anything in the next couple of days, if they don't sign anything significant in the next couple of days, I don't know if they've been linked with anyone. But that that could make or break their season. I think they've been. They've been riding like the cusp of relegation for quite a while. You know, they've 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 got lucky in quite a few instances. You know, a couple of results here and there have gone their way, and it's sort of dragged them out of it. But you know, you can't ride your luck forever. You know, we've seen it with Bournemouth, and obviously they paid the price last season. I think Palace they really need to sort it out, otherwise they are going to be in bother. And I want I don't want to see that for Patrick Vieira. I loved him as a player, and you know, I, I want to see him do well as a manager. I like seeing these 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 players that have, have been quality players in the past. Um, come through to management and actually you know put it into practice in the um, in the changing room so yeah I hope, I hope things change around for Patrick yeah we spoke yesterday about a transfer story that the Athletic were reporting that Arsenal's Eddie Nketiah could be on his way to Crystal Palace if the two clubs can agree on a fee and actually 
Now, in terms of his goal record, Steve McNaughton was pointing out that Nketiah doesn't have an excellent goal record, but they just need something, don't they, Crystal Palace, with the way that things are going for them at the moment. I'm glad we're talking about the Carabao Cup, and I'm glad we've got you on, Matt, because as a Manchester (laughs) City fan, your club is going for a record five Carabao Cups in a row. What is it about this competition that Pep Guardiola seems to love? Because it certainly is a bit of a step down in calibre from the FA Cup, in my opinion. Mm. But Pep doesn't see it like that because, I mean, it's a great day out at Wembley in February. It's a great time to get some momentum, isn't it? The end of February, heading into the run-in. I think that Manchester City seem to view this competition differently to everyone else, which is obviously great for the fans because you keep winning it. It's, It's a mentality thing with Pep. I think he just wants to win everything that he can, every single competition that he can possibly win. I think even if even if it's a pre-season like sort of friendly tournament thing, I think he'd get annoyed if he didn't win that. I know he was annoyed that we got beat by Leicester in the Community Shield. You know, he, he just wants to see his players lifting something. You know, when they when they're competing for it, and when it comes to this competition, he likes to play the strongest team he possibly can. Obviously, he'll give a few fringe players, you know, a chance, and I hope Liam Delap gets a chance in the uh, the competition this season. And I hope to see him in a few Premier League games. That's if if we don't sign another striker, you know, that that that's going to remain to be seen, but. Yeah, this, this competition with City at the moment, I think Pep just is all about breaking records. We've seen how many times he's done it in the Premier League, you know, with goals and, you know, points and stuff like that. I think he, he'd love just to see us win it again and again and again and again and just get a stranglehold on it. You know, it's, it's it has become sort of like the Man City trophy, hasn't it? You know, and it is a springboard as well, like we've seen. Like, you can win it, like, sort of like when it's coming to, like, the crunch at the end of the season, you know, the March, you know, April, May time. And you win it at the end of February there. It's a great confidence booster. It's, you know, it's it could be on the possibly on the way to a, an, another domestic treble or, you know, you know I'm not going to mention the Q word because the Q word gets thrown around quite a lot <laughs> with Man City every season. I'm not going to be one of them people. But, um, yeah, I can see I can see exactly why why Pep loves it, how, how much he does. And, you know, I was watching, I watched Everton and Huddersfield last night and it, it was a great win for Everton. The, um, obviously, he was down to 10 men and, you know, it took a bit of um, character for him to win that. And I think... Clubs like you know Everton who haven't won a major trophy for quite a while, they're going to be looking at it this season. I think that, that it's that sort of trophy. It can sort of get that monkey off your back if you've not won anything for a while. But obviously, I, w- I want to see us go all out for it again. I want to see us go try and win for number five. In a strange way, Marley, it feels like no one's really bothered by the Carabao Cup until it gets to the quarterfinals. And if you look at the finalists over recent years, obviously City have been in the last uh, five of the last six finals, but they face Tottenham, who haven't won a trophy since 2008, Aston Villa, who obviously haven't won a trophy in a long while. Arsenal, 1996 then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Arsenal, I mean, Southampton in 2017 lost to Manchester United. Uh, Sunderland were even in the final in 2014. Bradford versus Swansea was a final not even a decade ago. Cardiff City, another team. Birmingham, another team. So actually, there is opportunities for these middling teams to get to cup finals, but it feels like they almost don't want to. Or they don't take it seriously enough until it gets to the, the real knockout stages. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a distraction until the semi-finals, basically, isn't it? Or or the quarter-finals when you can you can reach the semi and and you're thinking, you know, oh, is it, could we do something? Um, who else is left in it? I mean, I remember Newcastle last year. We got to the quarters and we faced Brentford for a a place in the semi-finals and absolutely made a dog's bollocks of it. Um, and ended up going out to them, which was the most predictable result you've ever, you've ever known. Um, but it's it's you know I feel I feel like if you take it seriously, 
all the way through and you're a Premier League side, there is no reason why you can't get to at least the semi-finals with a good run because nobody else takes it seriously and it just tends to be, you know, either the team with the most depth, which is usually Man City, or the um, or the teams that take it seriously or a combination of both and that's what that's what Guardiola's done ever since he's come to England. He's won it four years in a row now. Um, probably win it again this year. You wouldn't back against them because it'll be the same thing over again. Somebody... You know, all the other teams probably won't take it as seriously as Man City will and, and put out the likes of, you know, fringe players like Nathan Ake and Bernard, uh, Benjamin Mendy, Bernardo Silva and all these players that don't quite make the first team every week. But then you, you put them in and you think, oh, Christ, they're still world-class players. So, you know, it, it's probably just one of them where you um, you get to that final four as, as sort of a mid-table team like an Aston Villa or whoever. And then you look around and you go, who else is left in it? And you go, oh, Man City is still in it. But if we can avoid them and get to the final, and you don't mind getting beaten in the final by Man City, really, because you've had that day out, you've had that Wembley final, you've done well um, in the sort of history of your club, you've reached a final, it's a, it's a big thing. Yeah, Manchester City, if they win the Carabao Cup this season, would be five in a row, and it would also take them to nine League Cup titles, which would break Liverpool's record, which they're currently tied with with eight. So, as Matt says, Pep Guardiola enjoys breaking these records with his Manchester City side, and there is another one in their sights. But that's a bit of an overview of last night's second round Carabao Cup fixtures. The third round ties, I think, will take place in mid-September so a little while yet until that third round stage may we see some new players feature in those games we'll have to find out when the transfer window closes on the 31st of August and it will be transfer talk we discuss next we'll do it after this on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. If you're new around here and you like what you hear so far, why not hit the subscribe button or follow on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast. And that way you won't miss another episode again. We are the only Premier League show with a new episode every single day of the season. It includes weekends where on a Saturday you can hear a Premier League preview show and on a Sunday you can hear a rundown of all the weekend's action. So make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. Time to talk transfers now, which is what we often do when the transfer window is on. Only a few days left to go. The 31st of August is the deadline. We're going to start with a new contract, though, rather than actual transfer rumours. And that comes at Liverpool, where Andrew Robertson has signed a new contract, which will keep him at the club until 2026. It's a five-year deal. He's not the first Liverpool star, Marley, that's been tied down to a new contract in the last 12 months or so. They've lost Genie Wijnaldum. They've just sold Jed and Shakiri to Lyon. But this is a bit of positive news coming out of Liverpool, because Andy Robertson, since they signed him in 2017 for eight million pounds from Hull he's been a bit of a revelation hasn't he yeah absolutely he's he's one of them players who has, has worked hard for what he's got and he's made him made himself one of the best left backs in the country um quite quite comfortably I think um he was always promising I thought coming out of Hull but you know a relegated Hull to to Liverpool was always a massive step up so it's a case of whether he's going to be happy being there um uh, you know like just playing for Liverpool uh, in inverted commas or whether he was going to push um, I think it was Alberto Moreno when he first got there push him out of the team which wasn't that wasn't the hardest thing because he was a calamity but still you know you've got to do it you've got to still establish yourself as first choice 
Uh, and he did that, and then all of a sudden he became one of the best uh, sort of playmaking left backs, if if you will. Um, you know, overlapping, bombing on, making you know ten plus assists a season. And obviously, he's, he's partnering crime on the other side. Trent is uh, is is not doing too badly either. So, I feel like he's um, he's worked hard for what he's got, and he deserves it. I think uh, he's been excellent for for Liverpool. He's got the um, the mentality as well. He's a bit of a um, bit of a Douse. sort of <laughs> Douse, yeah. Uh, like just because you'd want him on your on your side in a scrap, you wouldn't want yeah. to play against him for ninety minutes because he'll he'll niggle away at you. He won't leave you alone. He'll if you go past him and he can't catch you, he'll probably trip you up and and set the book in. Um, and it's but it's, it's stuff like that that you need to to go and win titles and and to uh, challenge at the top of the league. So. I feel like he's got a bit of that, and uh, after seeing his journey as well, coming from Queens Park in in um, Division Three of the the Scottish leagues, I think he's he deserves everything he gets really. Yeah, I mean he's twenty seven now, Matt, and that five year deal would take him till he's thirty two. He's got a decent enough engine on him. Sometimes he picks up an injury here and there, but what player doesn't? In terms of a five year deal, it sounds like a long time, but actually I think by age thirty two, Liverpool will know by then if he's still up for the challenge. Don't you think? Yeah, he's coming to his best years and we've seen like he, how fit he is like in, in terms of bombing up and down. He can do both, can't he? He can attack and defend. And, you know, that's what Jurgen Klopp's had a massive a massive part in that. When um, when he was at Dortmund, I used to see, he used to have uh, Marcel Smeltzer playing at left-back there and he was the same. He, used, he, he was tireless, you know, he'd be up and down. And I think that's just the way he likes to operate with his, his wing-backs, Jurgen Klopp. He just likes to, to get the best out of them the most out of them he possibly can and the fact that they've tied him down to a new five-year deal they're going to get his best years out of him you know he's 27 now they're going to have him until he's 32 and like you said they'll know at the end of that contract then whether they can give him a new one or you know they can you know offload him and then um you know whoever else is coming through then you know could take his place but yeah like I said Marley was saying he, he he's good to have on your side because he can wind you up I've seen him do it a few times he has um he has got that streak in him um, and but he has he also has the quality to back it up on the pitch. He can get like you said, like ten plus assists a season. You know sometimes he can he, he could even chip in with a goal here or there. And he has got that mentality. He has got that winning mentality. You hear it in his interviews. He wants to win absolutely everything that he possibly can. So yeah, Liverpool have done well there to uh, to time down to a five year deal. Yeah, not bad for eight million pounds, is it? A couple of nope. Champions League finals, one of them a victory, and the Premier League title as well. It's it's yeah. been a pretty decent time for him since his arrival at Anfield. So Andy Robertson has been signed down to a new contract. At Liverpool, we're going to talk about Burnley now, though, a team we don't often talk about when it comes to the transfer window. They obviously had an American takeover last season. Alan Pace is the chairman there. But there's been a few disgruntled supporters about Sean Dyche's backing or lack thereof in the transfer market in recent seasons. In terms of the squad depth that Burnley have got, it's not really there. But this one has come out of the blue a little bit. It's been reported by a renowned transfer expert Fabrizio Romano on social media. And the Clarets are allegedly close to picking up Lyon's Maxwell Cornet for £15 million. He's an Ivory Coast international. Um, he's, well, I don't know if he's left Lyon now or what the deal is, but um, that's the reported fee. I don't know too much about him, Marley. I don't know if you do, but Burnley picking up a player for £15 million from a big French club is a bit of an unusual one. This is the most bizarre move I can think of in recent memory. Um I, you know, Burnley have not signed a player from abroad since Stephen Defoe 
signed for them. I think it's from Anderlecht or Bruges or someone like that, someone in Belgium. Yeah. I think that was 2016. So you're talking five years. All, all their all their business gets done in the Championship or or um, sort of free transfers from the Premier League, and all of a sudden they're getting linked with a, a tricky French winger who's went from left wing forward to left back in in previous in in the last few years because he used to be he used to play on the left side of a front three for Lyon um, as like a promising young player and he's ended up as a left back which is a little bit strange suggests to me he can't defend um yeah i mean if you go on his wikipedia it just says position left back slash striker it's like a michael antonio (laughs) it's i don't get this move at all um as well i'm thinking you know he's, he's coming from leon which is a huge french club to burnley which is a small town just not far from manchester you can't tell me he knows where burnley is like he, he doesn't know anything about Burnley. I can, no kid from who, who grows up in France and plays his international football for the Ivory Coast grow, grows up dreaming of a burger and a pasty on Turf Moor on a cold Tuesday night. <laughs> maybe <laughs> wants to go for a pint in the Royal Dyche. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's it's just a weird thing for me. I I I just I don't really understand it. Fifteen million as well. It's, it's, it's a lot of money for Burnley. Um, but I we feel... said this in 2008 when Rabinho signed for Manchester City. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he didn't even know we existed. It, precisely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it feels like something. Burnley, yeah, I know, I, I get that. But Burnley have all of a sudden come into a bit of cash. And, you know, they've waited until the final week of the window to spend it. And 15 million isn't a, a, a nose breaking amount of money. Do you know what I mean? But for Burnley, that is. And to sign a player from Lyon is, is big news for them. I I just don't get it. I think it's bizarre. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel I feel like you know you've got money and then all of a sudden you're going and spending it on on one of Leon's squad players. I don't know. I I feel like they could get some someone better um, and more not someone better but more suited to them. Um, I feel like Corner is going to come come to Burnley and think what the what have I done here? Like I don't think he's going to fit in. I don't think he's going to produce much. I think if he plays left back, is he as good? Charlie Taylor is a good left back, for example. I, I, I rate Charlie Taylor. I think he's really good. Uh, is he going to play left wing? No, because Dwight McNeil's there. I just I, the whole thing makes no sense. Does he fit into a four four two? I'm not sure he's ever played for. I don't think Leon have ever played four four two in in years and years of football um, since Corne was in the team, especially. So that's why he's ended up from left wing to left back because there's no left midfielder to go to go to, you know what I mean? Is he going to get in that team ahead of McNeil? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, the whole thing's just a bit bizarre for me. I was gutted when I heard about it because this guy has scored against us three times in the Champions League and I was sick to, I was sick of the sight of him in the first place and then I thought, no way is this guy coming to the Premier League. Like, you know, he, he's just he seems to have this hoodoo over us. He seems just to have this curse over us where he just comes and scores against us. I thought, well, ah, well, at least we'll never, we won't see him again maybe for a few years. You know, if we, if we avoid Leon and, and now he's coming to Burnley. I'm like, oh, no, no I've just had enough. No, I hope he stays left back. You'll beat him 5-1 instead of 5-0 this season. That'll be the only difference. Yeah, he'll, he'll just score, yeah. <laughs> so that's the latest from Fabrizio Romano on 
Maxwell Cornet, the uh, Leon left back slash winger slash striker slash who knows slash never played in a 4-4-2 before. He could be on his way to Turf Moor, uh, according to Fabrizio Romano. £15 million the deal. And the final transfer story we're going to talk about involves Manchester United, which is often the case during the transfer window. They are linked with everyone here, there and everywhere. But this isn't a story about this window, which is obviously creeping towards a close. This is more one for next summer where Bild, the German newspaper, have suggested that Manchester United are in pole position to sign Erling Haaland next summer. Now, Matt, I know that you're a, a keen follower of German football. Um, and and for us, we've discussed this Erling Haaland situation a few times. And his associations with teams like Leeds and Manchester City, obviously through his old man who used to play in the Premier League, but also the possibility that he could move from Dortmund to Bayern Munich with these whole Lewandowski rumours that he could be moving on. But Bilder saying that Manchester United are in pole position for Haaland next summer. What do you make of that story? Well, anyone that's got any money in the Premier League are and are going to be linked with him. You know, I heard Chelsea were linked with him. You know, we've been linked with him. United are linked with him. It's it's that's just going to be the way until he actually you know makes his mind up about where he wants to go. Let, let's be real. He's not going to have um, he's not he's not going to have any trouble having clubs that are interested in him. You know, Real Madrid have been linked with him as well. And you know what, Bayern Munich is synonymous with um, you know nicking players off Dortmund and stuff like that. So you know. They've got they've still got Lewandowski there by Munich, but this is what I seen that was flying around social media. When if they're trying to get rid of Lewandowski, they're trying to make room for Erling Haaland because let's be real, you can't have them two both in the same squad. You know <laughs> that just that just won't be fair, would it? Um, but who, who knows? By Munich don't really care about being fair, did he? Um, no, I think whoever picks him up is you know he's, they're gonna have to spend a significant amount of money plus deal with his agent as well because we all know how much of a pain in the ass his agent can be. We've seen that in the past. Um, his agent is the one that ultimately decides basically where where he's going to end up and who's going to pay the most money and who he's going to benefit the most from. Um, I can't see him moving anywhere um, this summer. Obviously, you know he's he's got um, he's got he's got his contract at Dortmund. Maybe he's going to play one more season then and move on. Who knows? But um, it's going to be 150 million plus whoever buys him and it's good, whoever's going to be willing to front up the money. I'd love him to come and play for City. Obviously, his dad captain the club. Um, he's been a City fan from being a kid. We've seen we've seen the pictures of him wearing the Lecoq Sportive shirts, and I can tell you now, any glory hunting City fan never wore a Lecoq Sportive Man City shirt. So you can t- you can tell that he actually had a link with a the club there through his dad. Um, yeah, if, and we've seen him at games as well. Yeah, in, we've in seen him at games in the past, Champions League games and stuff. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and actually. This kind of all ties into the Harry Kane thing, which I've been trying to avoid for the last few days because it seems to have hit a bit of a roadblock. I'm sure it'll pick up again in the next couple of days. But, you know, Manchester City seem like they've gone all in for Harry Kane in terms of the eggs in the basket. They're all in the Kane basket. And although Haaland has the links to Manchester City, I can't see them getting a deal for him done with Dortmund between now and the end of the window. So it will be almost definitely next summer that, that something will happen. Um, if you don't get Kane, obviously Haaland will be everyone's first choice. Let's just say you don't get Kane this summer. You're going to need to find a striker at some point. So is it worth waiting a season and then going for Haaland and joining the race for him then? I'd, I I think that the Harry Kane thing now just needs to be put to bed. I think we've, we've offered what we have and Levy just seems to be playing games with us at the moment and it's starting to bore, not just me, but a lot of City fans are starting to get bored of it now, you know. And now I'm seeing things about Mbappe being flo- uh, 
uh, thrown around. I think he's going to Real Madrid, Mbappe. He's always wanted to go to Madrid. We've, he's made no secret about that. It's been his dream from being a kid. And I think now the messy things happen over at PSG. He's no no longer sort of like the main man. You know, no one's ever going to be the main man with Messi in the side, are they? And I think he's sort of like maybe like thrown his toys out of the pram sort of thing. He thought, right, well, if you've signed Messi, then, you know, I'm going to go to Real Madrid. Real Madrid have made a £135 million bid for him. And I think PSG are considering that, you know, I mean, who wouldn't? But I think if City don't sign a striker this window, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. Let's look at the depth of our squad. Yeah, we won't have what you call a natural centre-forward, but there is a kid in the academy that had a ridiculous goal record in the under-23s called Liam Delap. Now, when you have an academy like we have and the, the money that you've spent on the academy like we have with the, um, this, the in the CFA, now, I, I think that you need sort of to promote youth. I think we've made money on youth, we've made a lot of transfers on youth and stuff like that, and yeah, you can say, oh, it's affected City's net spend, you know, it's funded transfers for Jack Grealish and whatnot, but I think you've got to put faith in these players because otherwise, you know, why are they joining Man City? Because they'll think, well, what's the point in joining Man City from being a kid if I'm just going to get sold on anyway? You know, it's sort of like affect their like sort of dreams. You know, I think if Liam Delap comes through, I think he's got all the makings of a great Premier League striker. You know, he's strong, he's quick, he has that finishing ability, he's cold in front of goal. I think if we don't sign a striker, I think we should put the faith into Liam Delap because let's let's be real, he's got the players around him that will help him and improve his quality. And he's going to be training with them on a weekly basis. Guardiola's already said that. He's just signed a new three-year deal at the club. Don't throw him out on loan. Do what we've done with Phil Foden. You know, give him a chance and you know, look at Foden. Now he's one of our he's one of our first eleven when he's fit. So if if we don't sign a striker, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, the Harry Kane thing would have been nice and it would have, you know, like give us a major boost in obviously on a squad level, but Premier League level as well. Um no, I, I'm not too bothered if we don't sign a striker. I won't be panicking anyway. Back to Erling Haaland, Marley and Manchester United, we've heard several pundits and commentators suggest that Manchester United need to find a number nine who they can hang their hat on. They've got Edinson Cavani, but obviously with his age uh, and him only being on a one-year contract, the likelihood is he's not going to be around for too much longer. Mason Greenwood seems to be preferred out on the wings at the moment by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but there's no doubt to me that he can play through the centre if required. And Anthony Martial, for some, doesn't quite have the ingredients to be United's premier number nine. So in terms of the missing piece of the puzzle, I've heard Gary Neville suggest that United need to go in and join the race for Kane and just go and get a top striker. With what Builder reporting about Erling Haaland possibly pitching up at Old Trafford next season, would that be that piece of the puzzle, that real premier number nine that they need to rely on to help them fire for titles again yeah it could be um i feel like it it the business that teams have done this um you know this summer kind of opens the door for man united a little bit next summer um they've done their business this this uh season it seems you know not much is going to happen with man U in the next in the next week or so so you know it becomes about what what can you do next uh, next summer, and we all know that um, Harlan's going to be on the market next summer. We know he might have that seventy-five million pound release clause, which is rumored. You know, if if that's true, you know that opens the door to ten, fifteen clubs that could take him. Um, also, then it comes down to you know personal terms and what have you. So, I feel like um, Man United and Man City are in the best position because Chelsea have nailed their colours to the mast by signing Lukaku this summer, five-year deal. He's going to be there for. For five years at least, um, he's probably made his last move now. So Chelsea won't be looking 
um, to to bring him in. So that rules them out. And then you've got Man City who, who might need a um, a striker if they don't get Kane. And then you've got Man United who are who are gonna free up the wage budget because probably Cavani will probably leave at the end of the season. And then you've got uh, Martial who's never really fulfilled that potential. He might be on the move. And I just feel like it's opening up for the two Manchester clubs, um, and it could be, you know, who can who can attract him. Yeah, I, I think this is fascinating because there's a release clause in play as well, and uh, it feels like Chelsea have gone early with Lukaku, and they've they've sorted that out. Ninety-seven point five million. Still don't know what's going on with City and Kane. I mean, Bayern they might keep hold of Lewandowski, but I, I think, like you say, I mean that there is an opening possibly happening there because strikers seem to have been moving like chess pieces the last few weeks of the transfer window. And Who could afford Lewandowski and all that? I'm thinking about that. I mean, they, they, I think they said that it's something like 100 million. The guy's like, is he 33 now? Lewandowski? Yeah. 100 million for a 33. Yeah. I know how good he is, Lewandowski. I can't see him moving fantastic. on from Bayern Munich. I no, really can't. I can't either. No, no. I mean, I, I think he's so important to them. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But that's what Build in Germany are reporting about Erling Haaland. But it feels like all of the heat and uh, sort of excitement around him has cooled down a little bit. And it will be either January or next summer that we talk about him and a possible move to the Premier League. I feel like he's destined to play in the Premier League. I really do, Erling Haaland. Like you say, with the links with City and Leeds and his old man and all the rest of it. And, you know, wanting to prove himself as one of the best players out there. I, I think that we will see him for sure in the Premier League at some point, but for which club? And that remains the key question. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Matt. Great to have you back, mate. Thank you again, Marley, for uh, increasing the streak. I'm sure we'll see you again before the week's <laughs> out. Um, that's it for today's episode. As I say, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss another episode of the show. We'll have another one tomorrow and the day after, looking ahead to all of the Premier League games across the weekend as well. So make sure you don't miss it. But that's it for today. And we'll speak to you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.